Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Dr. Carol Francis Talk Radio Show. Let's make life happen together with authors, scientists, researchers, both inside the box and outside the box of understanding so that you can live a life full of your success, curiosity, enjoyment, happiness, and richness of life in every respect. Let's go beyond our limits and let's help others go beyond their limits as well. Welcome. Oh, you are going to meet someone who goes beyond his limits today, John Clark, and he has so much to share with you. I'm thrilled that he's joining us. In a moment, I'm going to actually let him speak for himself, but I want to give you a little bit of background. You know, he has ridden a 1,500-pound rodeo bull, and boy, oh, scary. I'm just wondering if he's jumped out of airplanes. He's, of course, gotten in front of even scarier junior high classroom because he was a teacher retiring this year but in the middle of COVID-19 what an experience that all is and of course more importantly for you and I is that he is an incredibly good writer and he writes with such sincerity and reality and truth to his words such reflection and humor I laugh and I laugh and I cry Every time I read one of his books, John H. Clark III, welcome to my program. I'm so glad you're here to give us some simple truths. How are you doing this morning? Oh, I'm doing great, Dr. Carroll. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a thrill to be here with you again. Oh, well, Simple Truth was a delightful and meaningful expression of people grappling with self-esteem and I think that you've written this during a hard time where people are kind of really having to face themselves during the isolation which is about to break open and of course if we're going to be listening to this program eons in the future listening to how in the world do they get their self-esteem on track and I am honored that I got to be one of the contributing authors but for the most part I have to say that in reading your book I just enjoyed how very raw and natural you are. So can you start us off with your own natural battle with self-esteem? Um. <laughs> I love starting a question that makes someone think, because you're a thinker and you're an authentic thinker. Yeah. Where do you want to begin? I wonder, I wonder. Would you would you rather me just try to answer that, or, or I wonder if I could read the introduction? Either way, what is your go-to? The introduction to the book. I wonder if that would be good. Go for it. Here it is. I grew up with a mother, father, younger sister and brother, dogs, fish, birds, even some backyard chickens for a while until, until our little poodle named Jaja couldn't keep her paws off of them. In what from outside appearances was mostly a typical all-American family. Dad brought home the bacon, mom cooked it, kids played with other kids up and down the block, came home when it started getting dark outside. It was all a little bit like the old Leave it to Beaver television show in the late 50s and early 60s. There was a major difference, though, between our family and the Cleavers. While we appeared to be pretty much like every other mom baseball and apple pie household in the neighborhood, complete with Chevy sedan in the driveway and rusty metal swing set out back, on the inside there was something missing, something important. 
What was missing inside our little three-bedroom, one-bath house on the big corner lot, one block down from Langwood Park and a stone's throw from the railroad tracks, was good old-fashioned warmth and affection. Love. Everything else was fine. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying our parents didn't love us. Sure they did. They took care of us. All our basic needs were met. There was always food on the table. We had clothes on our back, shoes on our feet. We went to school, went to church, took swimming lessons, played Little League, all that good stuff. They loved us, of course. When I say there was no love in the house, I never saw my parents sit and talk and laugh together, hold hands, sneak a kiss in the kitchen or the hallway, say, I love you. The only time they ever touched each other that I remember was when my old man left for work in the morning. Mama followed him to the front door. He turned around, gave her a quick peck on the lips, turned around and left. It was the same with the kids. My dad never hugged me, sat me on his lap, put his arm around my shoulders, patted me on the head and messed up my hair. He never touched me that I remember, and I never touched him. The first time my dad told me he loved me, I was 27 years old. It was probably a decade after that when he told me for the first time that he was proud of me, and that was something he wrote in a letter. I honestly don't remember my mother ever telling me she loved me when I was a kid either, or hugging me, kissing me, wiping tears off my cheeks, any of that. In our family, it just wasn't done. Consequently, when it came to our self-worth tank, and I'll shift gears right here and start speaking only for myself, the pump that filled that tank was out of order. Of course, as a kid, I didn't have a clue about anything like self-love, self-esteem, self-worth. I didn't know what any of that stuff meant. Never heard of any of those things and wouldn't have understood any of it anyway. But that empty tank absolutely affected my life and continues to affect it today. I was inspired to write this book by a conversation I had with my friend Raven, who was gracious enough to share some of her thoughts and allow me to include them here, along with some other friends who have experienced these same issues and who have spent a long time looking for ways to undo the damage and fill that tank. Raven told me that writing this book will likely help me as much or more than it helps anyone else. As usual, she's probably right. Here's what she said. I think this is a big step in your spiritual journey, your quest to become more whole and connected, even if that's not your initial intention. The universe slash source has a profound and sometimes seemingly twisted way of pointing us in the right direction to discover the thing that our heart is yearning to know. Good, isn't she? I think Raven needs to write a book. As with all my missives, messages, and musings, I truly hope you can relate to something you read here and that it helps you in some way. Thank you for reading, and as this Texas boy always likes to say, big love, y'all. So that's the introduction, Dr. Carroll. Does that pretty much say it all for you? I mean, as a writer, it makes complete sense that you'd want to read what you've written because uh, as you read it, I hear your soul, your, your information, your idea, and the cleverness of your, your ideas compiled together. Does that pretty much say it all to you? Or is there, since you've written this book, an added set of ideas about what self-esteem is? Uh, and how it contrasts with narcissism or egotism or selfishness or 
you know, what 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 the, what has this become to you since you have published this book? Yeah, that's that's one thing I always had a, kind of a conflict with is is uh, when people talked about I love myself, I always thought that was really weird. Mm-hmm. Because I thought, you know, oh, I love myself. Mm-hmm. I have a friend who's very self-confident and very positive and very successful and and sometimes I think I well I used to think he was over the edge as far as uh, so arrogant and the way he talked about himself he always calls himself by his name he's one of those and uh, by his first name and you know and I just thought he was kind of overly cocky but I, I always had I think I had the, the self-love concept very confused most of my life. Have you whittled that through in terms of understanding the difference between really celebrating your existence and being that full expression of John Clark versus being so pumped up with yourself that no one else seems to matter? I'm getting closer. You know, <laughs> I'm getting closer. I, I, I think I can say without it feeling too icky. Now I can say I like myself, and I think I'm a good guy. But still, to say I love myself, I don't know. That's still it's still kind of hard to do. It's it's interesting that the word like and love would meet, have such a chasm between them for you. And I know that you mentioned that your parents never said they love you as such, but or love to each other. But the experience of liking yourself, enjoying your company, having a trust for yourself, all of these things that, that are mentioned throughout your book, is is that is the word love just something that we trip on, which is different than... I am enjoying being myself and sh- and manifesting myself in the way that I do uh, for the welfare yeah. of myself and for others. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's just the word itself. Uh, I don't know. You know, I always, I think it's in this book or one of the other, one of my other ones, how I used to see people, and I know I'm not unique in this. You see other people who are so confident and happy and positive all the time. Or when I was growing up and I would see people like that and I would think, how do they do that? Where, you know, where does that come from? I thought people were just born that way. I thought you were just born confident and uh, outgoing and self-assured that somehow you were – that just – came with, that just came with the package somehow, but I don't think it, you know, I know it doesn't anymore. I think a lot of it depends on the way you were raised, but then you, when you, uh, mm-hmm. wrote, when you wrote your section in the book, you talked about, uh, more about how people who aren't raised that way can overcome that, which was pretty interesting. But, you know, yeah, so, John, thanks for segueing. That's, that's, that's part of your beautiful ability as an interviewer and journalist is to turn the question. I work with people <laughs> who, who didn't even have 
uh, parents that would kiss each other at the exit door in the morning or provide meals, breakfast together or, you know, have a place where you could run up and down the street playing safely. You know, those things sound like premier, beautiful expressions of solidarity and connection that people that suffer from abuse and trauma at at extremes and, and not so extreme would just consider those beautiful expressions of love and containment. So, Oh, I know. (laughs) So to me, I'm seeing it going, you know, our existence as human beings is entirely relative to ourselves. And even in reading your book about how to survive the COVID-19 isolation, let me see if I can return to that book quickly called Peace of Mind. In reading Peace of Mind, I was aware that even though we're all kind of human and all kind of having a similar experience, truly there's not a single one of us that can look at the COVID-19 isolation experience and say, mine is like someone else's experience. Someone who's in poverty, needs their job, being exposed to COVID every day because they simply have to go pick grapes or they have to go nurse uh, and, and take care of someone's fecal material or they have to go. They have, you know, people that actually have to go versus people who are getting paid for having the time off and have plenty of food and fruit or whatever. There's no right. two human beings experiencing the COVID isolation the same it's also completely distinctive. And so I'm going to move right back to your wonderful book, Simple Truths. You are enough. Learn to love yourself as you deserve. And once again, state, we all live our life relative to our own experience. And therefore, is it relative to our own experience, we have to come to terms with what you call, is it the empty bucket or the emptiness? And then how that emptiness needs to be filled in a satisfactory way such as you can arrive into your life and live it fully. And so what do you think about any of those ideas, John? Yeah, that's why, you know, in these books and uh, one of my books, I wrote about sort of my own uh, life story and struggles with depression. Uh, Mm -hmm. Depression is the title of that book. Yeah. I was always careful to point out that, you know, I didn't have a horrible existence when I was growing up you know I I didn't I wasn't abused or neglected or you know I was neglected emotionally but it's like you know sometimes I I think uh, I was was careful to point out in those books that my childhood was not horrible at all compared to a lot of people because you know, I didn't want some people to read about my growing up and, you know, in a little middle-class neighborhood and playing Little League and running up and down the block every day and going to the park and riding our bikes and, oh, the poor kid, you know. <laughs> Golly. <laughs> so I didn't want it to sound like that, but... Mm-hmm. Like you said, my reality, and and other people have told me, well, you know, your reality is what happened to you. You, mm-hmm. it's it's it was important to you, and it affected yeah. you. So, but it was just, you know, it was just a matter for me. It was a lot of uh, 
just never seeming like anything I did was good enough and, and always trying to somehow I picked up the message as a kid that what that your value was based on the things that you do and just who you are and your accomplishments. If you accomplish things, then you were good. And if you didn't succeed at your accomplishments, then you were no good. You were a loser. And I, I got that message a lot from just uh, observing and things that my dad said all the time. And uh, I don't know. It's so interesting to me, John, because you were saying when, when, uh, and, and I don't know if you feel like you've reached this now in your 60s, when are you good enough to be satisfied with yourself? And I'm looking at everybody on his Amazon page, and you have, what, do you have about 15 books here? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. 15, so, so, you know, in a moment, you know, I'm, I'm te- go ahead. 15 or 16, I don't know. 15, so, these books are amazing books about the Camino, about becoming fed, about dealing with depression, pondering death, dealing with sobriety, dealing with with finding God or not. I mean, these are like really pithy topics. And, and your writing is so raw and so real. And, 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 and everybody who reads your books is just going to fall in love with your authenticity and how much you help each of us reach into this kind of peaceful place of accepting ourselves as well in our own struggles. So when I say that to you and you say, you say, I don't know if I can be enough, at least in the past, have you reached the point of being enough or would it almost be dangerous to reach the point of being enough? Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, I, it's been a couple of years probably that I finally started coming to the conclusion that I've had a pretty good life and I've been pretty successful. Hmm. And that, so I guess I'm, and I think I can say now, and it doesn't make me feel like I'm, uh, doesn't make me feel strange to say it out loud that I'm proud of myself now. Yeah, nice. And I'm not, I'm not really, I'm not really sure where that comes from, uh, where that has come from. But mm-hmm. I think I can say now that I'm proud of myself. And I, you know, if my life was over today, that it was pretty good. I did, I did mm-hmm. okay. Hmm. That's a that's a pretty big step for me because I always thought mm-hmm. that I'd come up way short. Hmm. So again, go ahead. I'm sorry. Even though, even though uh, people tell me, and when I and I always have been guilty of measuring myself against other people, comparing myself against other people, and even though um, compared to (laughs) compared to some other people, and what other people tell me that I have accomplished a lot. I never believed it, but I think I believe it now. Hmm. How does that feel to to 
to discover belief in yourself? Um, how does that feel? Mm-hmm. Well, it feels <laughs> it feels good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how to articulate that. Uh, <laughs> I'm asking a writer who's so fluid with words. I think oh, yeah. that. that <laughs> I think, John, that's, this is this is kind of like the core of when I feel good about myself, it feels good. But what does that mean to arrive to that kind of place, that plateau, if you will, of I've done pretty good. I, I've conducted myself in a way that is my what I wanted to create, what I wanted to be, who I wanted to become stepping over my failures and stepping into my my levels of success and plateaus of success and moving forward and what what when someone says to you what am I going to feel like when I feel good about myself what am I going to feel like when I have good self-esteem oh yeah okay what is that um you know at one at one time, and I've I've written about this before. At one time, um, I could count on one hand the number of times, and this was not too long ago, not many years ago. So probably through six decades, mm-hmm. I could count the number. I could count on one hand the number of times where I woke up in the morning and felt good, in a good mood, and just felt happy hmm. for reason. You know, I got that on the number of times that happened on one hand in probably 60 years. Hmm. And now, I think that's pretty much every day. Hmm. So, hmm. it's not just, I don't know, um Just feeling, just feeling, uh, it's a big weight off. I haven't really contemplated this question mm-hmm. before. It's a good mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. Very good question, Dr. Carol. <laughs> well, folks, this is why I like to interview authors, because as you can tell, they think very deeply and they contemplate very thoroughly. And thanks, John, for grappling with it. I mean, basically, your your whole book is that attempt to find out what people feel like when they feel good. I know that in the chapter... Uh, that I contributed, the self-esteem was not so much, am I am I a loving, wonderful person, but it, can I create the difference that I want to make in this planet? And I think that's probably very reflective of what I define my self-esteem as. Am I in the process today in this moment of making this planet a better place because I was here? And that also is kind of a a tenant of some uh, uh, tantric Buddhist traditions. It's uh, the the golden rule. It's a whole bunch of different things. And yet, here's where I'm going to ask you the question, John. I'm getting a little bit of feedback. I hope that's not coming on recorded there. And yet, John, what I'm wondering about is, is that too much based in what I do instead of who I am? And can we really make the distinction between what we do and who we are? You know, what I thought of when you were just talking just now is, is I think the key, 
the key to the whole thing is being true to yourself and finding out finding out what you really I don't know how to say it right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you do. You, you're great with words, John. <laughs> yeah, but I can I can type I can I can do a lot better with the keyboard than I can with the with the mouse. <laughs> I, <laughs> I understand. I'm a writer. I totally get that. The thing that the thing that's really triggered it for me the last couple of years is is what I wrote about in my book. I don't know if you've seen my book called Finally Fit. I'm looking right at it. Mm-hmm. So. A couple of years ago, I was in a really, well, it's about three years ago now. I was in pretty bad shape again. You know, I've gone up and down throughout my adult life mm-hmm. being dealing with depression. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got in a pretty bad way about three years ago, and I was self-medicating again to to try to just make it through the rest of the day and and then I'm, I guess I can tell you the story, sort of. Um, yeah. I, I saw a post on Facebook from this guy that I, I recognize his name from childhood. Hmm. And we weren't really friends in childhood, but I knew who he was. I knew his, his younger brother and sister were closer to my age, so I knew them better. But this guy was talking about... Uh, winning a world championship in pole vaulting at age 64. Ah, wow. And I thought, I didn't even know there was such a thing. You know, I grew up watching the Olympics and things like that, and I played sports when I was a kid, but I didn't know people in their 60s played sports and won world championships and things. But I, so I, I knew this guy, and I messaged him back, and he messaged me back, and I asked him. I thought about it. You know, he started telling me about this thing called Masters Track and Field. It's part of the U.S. USA Track and Field organization. There's a, a division for Masters, which I think starts at age 35 and goes all the way to 100. And uh, I thought about that, and I thought that might be fun because, you know, I ran track in school and played all kinds of sports and I wound up asking him, I said, do you think it's ridiculous for me at age 60? I'm like out of shape, 45 pounds overweight and I don't do much, but sit on the couch and drink. Is it ridiculous for me to think about learning how to pole vault? And he goes, absolutely not, John. It's great. And long story short, I started learning how to pole vault, and he actually started teaching me, this guy that's a world champion. Wow. And uh, we went every Sunday morning for a year and practiced pole vaulting, and that just changed my life uh, Hmm. because I – that was – you know, sports and athletics was something I just – it was one of my big regrets hmm. that I quit that when I was a kid. Hmm. And it just, one thing led to another, and it just uh, just changed everything. 
So what what I was back to was was finding finding what really you know feeds your soul uh, in doing it, and not trying. You know, I always tried to like I I've measured my successes and my accomplishments by the reaction of other people. And, uh, you know, I always thought of myself based on what other people thought of me. And you can't do that. (laughs) I know you know that. Um, It's it's so beautifully said. In other words, you have to find what feeds your soul. You've said it beautifully. I'm only repeating your wonderful lines. And also, maybe you have to do what feeds your body and your mind and your emotions. And exercise and movement is clearly essential for those of us that live in a body that was designed for movement, you know, for deep breathing, for musculature, for uh, you know, for expression and the, our body is not going to be happy and our mind's not going to be at peace and we're not going to feel our power if we can't also just like move into our body's expression of itself. Uh, it, and uh, you mentioned that in your book uh, that's related to self-esteem. Again, everybody, that book is called Simple Truth. You can get it on Amazon for free. Oh my gosh, so generous of you. We can also get Finally Fit for free too on Amazon, folks. John is so generous with what he offers in his books that are available, low cost and valuable. Don't it's just such a gift that you give each of us uh with the words that you share. And once again, I'm going to come back to you and say, "Do you feel that not only does fitness that's made your body be in its truth and its power and its strength and its capacity, taking the beautiful flight of flying in the air momentarily just to crash on that hard mat. I don't know how you do it. <laughs> takes a lot of takes a lot of mental getting over yourself, I bet, as well. So is that part of self-esteem, is watching yourself do something that you thought you wouldn't be able to do? Oh yes, it, it definitely is, and I like what you what you were talking about. You know about the body. The, the your body, and I I learned this at one point, which it seems obvious, but your body wants to wants to move. Your body is designed to move. Mm-hmm. And when I went to the Camino in 2011, I I met a lady from Denmark, and we were walking together one day. And she was, you know, she was just your average, uh, she was probably in her late 50s at that point, about the same age I was. <laughs> and uh, she said, she was walking one day and she said, I love my body. I don't know what we were talking about. She said, I love my body. And I thought, that's kind of a weird statement. You love mm-hmm. your body. You know, she wasn't, she wasn't a model or anything. But of course, my my the way I interpreted what she said was different than what she meant. Mm-hmm. Said I love my body, and I said, yeah. And she goes, yeah, my body, uh, my body is strong, and I can walk well, and I can move, and you know this and that. So she loved her body for what it was, not for she wasn't talking about the way her body looked. Mm. She was 
about that her body is healthy and strong and she can work and she can walk and really cool. So then you've stepped into this experience of, of pole vaulting and you must have overcome your own mind. Oh, I can't do that. Oh, that's going to hurt when I land. Oh, uh, God. Yes. I'm, the, I'm first time a- I, the first time I went, uh, this guy, my friend Bubba, who's the one who taught, ended up teaching me, Bubba Sparks is his name. He's known all over the he's known all over the world. Um, he sent me to a, another guy named Brian Elmore, who's a pretty famous pole vault coach in Texas. And I went out there one Saturday, one Sunday. Their practices were from noon to two, so I drove down there. It was about an hour from my house, and uh, I had on just some cargo shorts and a t-shirt and some flip-flops and carrying my tennis shoes in my hand. And I'm this big old fat guy, you know, and, um, uh, yeah. I woke up and introduce myself to Brian and sit down and there's all these kids, there's all these, uh, junior high and high school pole vaulters already jumping. They're mm-hmm. all standing in line on the runway with their poles and they're all taking turns jumping and they're jumping 12 feet in the air and, I find some of them are state champions and, mm-hmm. you know, national record holders and stuff like that. And I'm sitting there going, I'm not getting out there. Are you mm-hmm. crazy? Mm-hmm. So I sat two hours. And Brian, every once in a while, would go, you ready? I was sitting in a lawn chair next to him, and he, he would say, you ready? And I said, no. And he said, okay. He understood. There's a lot mm-hmm. a lot. Good pole vault coaches are, are great psychologists. Well, I guess coaches <laughs> of any kind are great uh-huh. psychologists. But finally, the the kids started finishing and started packing up and going home. And there wound up being just me, Brian, and uh, a, a young lady that used to be one of his vaulters. So then he says, come on. You know, and he got up and found me a pole and showed me how to – where to stand on the runway and how to hold the pole. And he said, now just go ahead and jump. <laughs> That's hilarious. Okay. All right. And I thought, it's not going to work. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. And I thought, you know, but I, and I've written about this too. It kind of flashed back to when I went to college, when I was 27 at the university of Houston to study journalism the first day in Journal 101, the professor comes in and she introduces herself and she's kind of talking to us and she says, okay, here's your first assignment. Get a pad and paper, go out on campus and find three people and talk to them about registration. Because back then, this was in the late 80s and college registration, you didn't do it online. <laughs> you went to these long lines for hours and signed up. And so registration was not any fun. And she said, go out and interview three people about registration, come back and write a story. This was the first day of class. And I'm thinking, whoa. And everybody in class, I think, is thinking the same thing, all these kids. I was the old guy in class at about 
age 27, in there with a bunch of young kids, and everybody's kind of, there's silence in the room. Everybody's looking around. And I'm thinking, well, do you want to do this or not? Do you want to be a journalist or not? If you do, get up and go do it. Mm-hmm. Now, that was I think that was really the point of the assignment more than anything. Mm-hmm. So I, that was a less, uh, an important lesson that I learned, and I think that was her objective was to teach that lesson. Mm-hmm. And I thought of that when I was on the runway with Brian. <laughs> I thought, well, he said, go ahead and jump. I said, okay, do you want to do this or not? And I wanted to, so I did. And, of course, the first jump was just a splat. And, uh, you know, it was ugly, and I stubbed my toe and <laughs> oh, gosh. and the whole thing. And But I got up and did it again, and I jumped I, either five or six times that day. Wow. And, um, you know, it oh, was just little, oh, not, not, even, not even with a crossbar. Okay. The whole point is just to, to make it onto the mat. Hmm. Killing yourself, <laughs> basically. You know that's how you learn uh, is just little little drills and things until you start getting the hang of it and you build up and build up. Mm-hmm. When you see these guys jump 18 feet, they didn't start out that way. Mm. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so so uh, I'd stubbed my toe on that first one. And then I sort of pulled a, a little bit of a muscle in my leg at one point. Because, you know, I was in horrible shape and way overweight. Oh, yeah. I don't know what, I don't know what Brian thought when he saw me walking up. but <laughs> So after about five or six jumps, I said, I landed, you know. I, I did a little bit better with each one, and I landed, and I said, I turned around and looked at him, and I said, I think that's enough. And he goes, Okay. And then I found out later that he and Bubba had both said, okay, I think John's going to do pretty good at this. He knows when to quit. (laughs) Because especially with the Masters guys, you have to know when to quit because, in you know, dealing with injury, avoiding injury and recuperating from injury is – kind of number one on the priority list. <laughs> uh, oh, called survival with wisdom. Huh? Yeah. So um, I don't know where we were going with that. Well, you, you know, we were talking about, you know, is it, what's the distinction between self-esteem that comes from loving yourself without regard to what you do Versus self-esteem that's really about how you manifest the expression of yourself, which is more my go-to. And then I asked you how that fits into your pole vaulting and the doing and how that builds self-esteem and how the very act of getting yourself and say, I can do it. I'll try to do it. I'm going to walk into my shame and embarrassment and go past it. And I'm going to try over and over and then I'm going to know okay, that was enough for today. And all of that to me is an expression of someone who's in touch with their own expression of of their worth, their value, because they're moving into expressing themselves in that way. So I was asking you about that. And that's, and this is a beautiful illustration of how you really did show up for yourself. 
So yeah, one of the. Oh, I'm sorry. One of the uh, one of the. Um, I'm saying I'm thinking symptoms, but it, I don't know if symptoms is the right word. One of the, I guess, symptoms of of low self esteem is you're afraid to take on challenges because mm-hmm. uh, you don't think you can do it. Yeah. And, I've always just thrived on challenges. I, I love a challenge, and you know, I, I'm kind of a kind of a contradiction in a lot of ways because because of the, you know that's one of the things I I never really had a problem with is if I decide I want to do something, I usually do it. I just go do it, hmm. and I been successful at, at just about anything I want to try and uh, but that's one of the things for people if they you know if you there's some, if you have a dream mm-hmm. and you're not at least trying to 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 go after your dream then you're probably going to be unsatisfied to some level I just absolutely agree with you. And when we talk about self-esteem and that, you know, around the time you're turning 60 is when you begin to feel in the morning happy for no real reason. And yet look at the reasons, happy for no real reason. Well, look what you did in terms of pole vaulting and getting yourself into fitness. Look what you have done. I know this is the different look of, of what you're expressing, but look what you have done with all the books you have shared, all the students you have taught, all the explorations you have engaged in, all the people's lives you've tried to be a part of. I'm sure that along the way there have been lots of things that you've chagrined about, ashamed of, embarrassed, forlorned about. But in the midst of it, you've kept this process of expressing yourself, of showing up for being who you are, even when you're not like completely sure if you can if you're worth it, if if it's doable, or even if you want to, like the pole vaulting. Uh, you have right. a quote in your book called Peace of Mind by Winston Churchill. Success is walking from failure to failure with no loss of enthusiasm. I have to tell you, when I read that, I did not like it, so I rewrote the quote. <laughs> I don't know what <laughs> Winston Churchill must say. Success is walking from failure to failure. I feel like success is like this collection of progressive steps. And each of those progressive steps ever so often leads to a plateau of satisfaction. And, and, and then when you're at that plateau of satisfaction and you've kind of congealed there, then, then it's time for the next success of a compilation of steps. And that sometimes those steps are taken with enthusiasm and other times pure, sheer effort. Sometimes they move forward. Sometimes they move backwards. Sometimes they falter and sometimes they accomplish. Sometimes they're full of energy and propelling and sprinting and other times exhausting and tripping and just struggling. So I just think that success is, is a compilation of progressive steps and that by the time you reach a certain age, you go to a plateau and you go, I'm pretty satisfied with what I've done in my life. Or you say, I'm not satisfied with where I'm at in this plateau. I want to do better. And I think that that ability to say, I want to do better, is just as important as as I really like where I'm at in my life. Because I want to do better is an expression of love that is for self, if I can use that word again, that says, Carol, 
John, Person X, you can do better. Let's get on with a program. And that's kind of like this pep coach self-talk that believes in your fundamental worth, even if you haven't expressed a fundamental value. Um, And that other times you say, yeah, you know, I'm feeling pretty happy with where I'm at. This is a really nice, contented place. I can wake up feeling happy. But that's also really valuable, that both of those are valuable positions to be in. That's why I'm not too upset by people when they say, I don't really feel like I love myself. And I say, okay, that's fine. What will it take for you to grow that love? <laughs> what do you need to do, be, show up for that will make you feel glad that you got to be you? So what are your musings on that, John? Yeah. Um, you know, Baba, my friend Baba, he says that uh, he and I talk about we both talk about dying. We've talked about dying pretty, not dying in itself, but uh, I guess um, having a fulfilling life. Or, but one thing he says is that he wants to die with a, with ten urgent things on his to do list. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought that was cool. When he told me that, I, I immediately wrote out a. a when I finished talking to him that day, I wrote out a, 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 t- a 10 item to-do list. Mm-hmm. But that was really, I, um, you know, I'll never, uh, I'll never be completely satisfied. I just, because I'm just, I'm very, I'm so driven. Mm-hmm. But now I think it's changed now from trying to please everyone else uh, to just accomplishing things for myself. I don't know if that made any sense. Sure. Uh, Your list as opposed to everybody else's list for you. Well, and not needing their approval. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one thing I I learned and it's in I can't remember which book it's in, but Hmm. I found a really good counselor about a lot of things all came together at sort of it in the same time frame, the same, uh, same series of months uh, with the pole vaulting and some other things. One of those was I found a really good counselor. And one thing I learned with her, she gave me a book about, um, she told me about a book about codependency. Mm-hmm. And I always thought I knew what codependent meant. Mm. And, you know, being a sexist pig, I always thought that uh, <laughs> codependent was a female that just couldn't let go, you know, that just clung to a man. Mm. And uh, I didn't realize that once I found out what, what codependency really means, I didn't know that I, I was I, my whole life. I was codependent on not just other people. I was codependent on the entire world hmm. because I depended on what you thought of me for what I thought of me. And you could be a complete stranger that I just met. And if I got the 
uh, idea or it was obvious that you didn't like me for some reason, I would think, well, what's wrong with me? Uh, you know? And it, it didn't matter if it was my, uh, you know, someone that I cared about or a friend or someone I admired or looked up to. It could be some knucklehead I met on the street. Mm-hmm. They didn't like me, then I wanted to know why. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't believe I was codependent on everything. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, well, that has changed. Now, I, um, I still mm-hmm. care about think of me and I have thin skin you know when criticism I have a hard time taking criticism I tend to uh, uh, kind of bristle at criticism not not as bad as I used to but uh, if I'm right I'm right so don't tell me not. <laughs> but um now my my accomplishments, my my uh, ambition is not so much. So I'll feel better about myself. It's it's things that I'm. It does make me feel better about myself, but it's not the way it used to be. Mm. And now I'm trying. You know, I'm I'm really trying to reach out now, and, and because I think I do have have something to uh, offer other people. And uh, with you know my experience, strength and hope, mm-hmm. and I know I've touched people at different points with my writing and different things. Sure. Yes, sure. it's really an amazing thing when mm-hmm. somebody contacts you back and says how wonderful your book is and that it changed my life. Mm-hmm. Oh my God! Mm-hmm. What? There's nothing better than that. For sure. Mm-hmm. Just an incredible thing. Beautifully said. It's 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 a collection, isn't it, John, of 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 being inside ourselves and knowing that we're enjoying connecting with ourselves and then being able to create and knowing that we're enjoying what we can create and that we can create. And then being able to know that we can make people's lives better because we exist. I mean, there are so many levels of really enjoying yourself, of having that self-esteem. And I think that it, that it's a it's a progress. It isn't. You may feel that children age five have a good self-esteem, but truly, it's when it's been tried and tested, and you and after decades, you go, ah, oh, now I actually know what it's like to believe in myself. To have yeah, a, right. you know, it's just a very different to have a go, you know, get, you know, get going. Let's do this. I can do this attitude when you're young, but to have proven that through longevity, hard times, easy times, connections that are good and connections that are bad, to prove yourself to always be uh, 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 not always be able to move forward through the, your own mistakes and other people's mistakes and keep pressing forward. That proof is I think so much more valid um, and I, I would encourage every human being to hold out for proving to themselves it's okay to pro- have to prove yourself but I, I say that feeling like I'm being disrespectful of what you've meant as self-esteem because I think you don't want to say prove yourself just be yourself and I'm saying there's a, yeah. there's a process of even proving yourself to yourself 
And so we're kind of at odds when we, when I go that direction, you go the other direction. And yet, so what do we, what do we make of that dichotomy of thought? Um, maybe proving yourself to yourself, but not to other people. Mm. Um, mm. You just, well, mm-hmm. everything changed. Things started changing for me when I didn't have to depend on what other people thought of me so much. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I still care about that too much, what other people think, but it's dramatically improved. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, uh, just being true to yourself. Mm is really the, I think that's probably number one. Mm. And then, John, let me ask you this question. If you're true to yourself, but you don't even really know who you are yet or who you are in this moment or this era of your life, and you haven't yet created the next version of yourself, how do you withstand that amorphous, transformation of who you are and still be true to yourself when you don't even really yet know who you are in your next formation. Yeah. You just have to try things that you want to try. Mm -hmm. And, you know, talking about life in general, not worry about what other people think. Mm -hmm. You know, I've, I've, I've uh, preached that to my youngest daughter, She's 27 now, and I've preached that to her all her life. And, you know, she struggles some, but I've just encouraged her to to do what, you, what really makes you happy and not what other people, what you think is going to make other people happy, if that mm-hmm. makes any sense. Mm-hmm. And she's doing and it- pretty good of it, so being true to herself. I guess she has a father that helps her stay the course. <laughs> yeah, you know, I see these, I see, I see these TV shows and these movies where the kids and the parents sit down and have these heart-to-heart talks all the time and all this stuff, and you know, you think, man. That sure would have been nice to have a relationship like that where somebody guided you all the time and and gave you advice and steered you in the right direction and instead of just having to uh kind of uh, having to kind of just freelance it and try to figure things out for yourself all the time but I'm sure that's uh you know that's only t v in the movies. <laughs> well, I mean, look at your pole vaulting. You know, you're sitting here, here next to the coach for two hours and probably getting a lot of tips and information. But ultimately, at least by your story, he said, go jump. <laughs> it's like, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. all the inspiration, yeah. all this talking is one thing, but the actual go jump, you know, your, your journalist teacher saying, go interview three people and then write yeah. about it. It's like, there's, yeah. a, there's a, go to the Camino and go do your, that's one of my, uh, um, wait, go, go to things on my list. And it, it's like, 
it's it's that going to that expression of movement, making it happen and watching yourself actually be able to affect, uh, to change, to create, I think has a tremendous amount of, of you know, authenticates your self-esteem as opposed to saying good things about yourself but having no authentication to it. So I think you've authenticated. Yeah. It's taking, taking action. Mm-hmm. Take mm-hmm. action. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and one other thing I thought about um, a few minutes ago is forgiving yourself mm-hmm. is one of the keys to all this also. Mm-hmm. Um, I still have a hard time with that. I, I've I've done pretty well forgiving myself, but sometimes I'll wake up in the middle of the night, and it's so crazy to to think back on things Fifty year that happened fifty years ago, you know, and incidents that happened in high school, and reliving those things and uh, wishing you, you know, thinking about man, I, I should have done this or I should have done that, and it's crazy to to go back and do stuff like that. I don't know why do we do things like that, Doctor Carol? Uh, maybe to inform our future choices. Maybe yeah. because it is important to think about regrets so that we make sure our future is in line. Maybe we have to go back and make some amends, and that would help someone else in their process. Um, you know, we're constantly in a step, a step of learning from ourselves. So maybe we don't take those negative thoughts merely as negative, that we have to train our brain to not always go to the negative. Maybe we take those negative thoughts as teachers that show up to remind us how well we can live now that we understand that that was a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But yeah, forgiving yourself, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, getting rid of those regrets and especially in resentments. Mm. Like a lot of resentments against my dad, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, being emotionally distant and things Mm -hmm. and basically for, uh, it was his fault for that I was so screwed up. <laughs> no, I've, I've, I've gotten rid of all. I've let all that go because you know, your parents, my parents, like I said, my parents loved me, and they did the best they could. But uh, things just turned out certain ways, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, you know, no parent is supposed to give a child everything that they need. That's what the rest of life is for. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, you, you know, know the old of, uh, everything, uh, everything I experienced led me to where I am now. So, And to the degree that you've made that good, not yeah. so bad. Right? Yeah. Yeah. John, I have, I have one more series of questions for you, and this okay. pertains to a class that I'm teaching currently, and I do this periodically, on helping individuals write their first book. Because I find okay. writing the first book is always the hardest because people make it such a big deal that it becomes this impossible, uh, you know, impossible feat, this impossible journey, this impossible reach. And so I'm going to have these students listen to uh, the next part of this conversation 
since you are a prolific writer who writes from the heart about real things and you interlace it with humor and meaningfulness and points of view that are worth contemplating as well as I love the style of your writing. How do you recommend anybody sit down and write their first book and move forward with it? Well, um, I write from the heart, so I, what I, the only thing I can say or one thing I can say is just don't be afraid to put yourself out there. Um, I think that's one thing that sets my writing apart is that, uh, you know, I spill, basically, I spill my guts. Mm-hmm. And I don't mind doing it. Um, so, you know, it, it does it that that applies to what I the things that I write because I write nonfiction and uh, if somebody's writing a novel that would be a little bit different I guess but you could still your writing should be based on you know people say write what you know your writing's always going to be based on your own experiences to a certain extent so don't be afraid to uh, to dig deep and and just uh, put yourself out there. And... One word at a time, right? Oh, yeah, one, just get started. Just, one idea just, at a time, one sentence at a time, one, yeah, just get started. Yeah, write, a, write a story, write a story about, from something, some, write an interesting story from your life. Mm-hmm. From there. John H. Clark III, you can get all of his books that I know about on Amazon.com and about depression. We've been discussing the simple truth, the peace of mind, the Camino, finally fit. Oh, the list goes on and on. And you will really enjoy the conversation you will have when you sit down to read. They move along and quickly while they speak to your heart deeply. So thank you, John H. Clark, for yet again uh, touching my heart and letting people know more about you. Any last final words? Thank you so much, Dr. Carroll. I really appreciate it. And um, I hope to come back. Oh, good. Next book is when? Uh, (laughs) I don't know. It shouldn't be too long. Shouldn't be too long. That's John yeah. Clark. Well, everybody. I must write. Yeah? I must write as I breathe. And everybody, let's breathe while we live and live big, as big as we dare. John Amen. C. Clark, everybody else, you all take great care of yourself. Outside your box. Do outside your box. Do it yourself. Get out of it. Like, way too short. Do it less.